You're listening to the Jubilee Montreal podcast. Jubilee Montreal is a Christian church located in downtown Montreal that exists to share the good news as a spiritual family for holistic transformation. For more information on Jubilee Montreal, visit us online at www.jblmontreal.org. Now the same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking to each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened in these days? What things? he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all of this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but they didn't find his body. They came and told us that they'd had a vision, that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, how foolish you are, and how slow to believe all the prophets that have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all of the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he was going further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were open and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he, was, while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the 11 and those with them assembled together and saying, it is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. I have the privilege today to talk for just a few minutes and tell you about uh, Jesus. That's really all I'm doing today. And uh, that's weird uh, because Jesus, Jesus lived a long time ago. He was born over 2,000 years ago in the Middle East uh, and was a historical figure, which I'll talk about in a few minutes. But today, specifically, this idea of Easter, which is a, which is a holiday that people made up. But during that holiday, we celebrate and we remember Jesus and this specific event in his life. Um, Jesus of Nazareth, this is just my opinion, and I've come to believe this after uh, coming to believe it at a certain time in my life. Jesus of Nazareth is the most important person you will ever consider, that you will ever think about. And if the story that we're telling today, if the story that he rose from the dead, if that happened to be true, it not only could change your life, which I'll say, but it does automatically change your life, and it automatically changes our world, and I want you to think about that today. If what I'm saying is true, what would that mean for you? 
So today is about Jesus, and specifically, it's just about whether we recognize Jesus for who he really is. What do we think about him? So before we keep going, I want to do something a little different. You have cards and pens and all kinds of stuff, probably when you sat down. There's something called a connection card, which is black and white, and then you have a card that's green, a blank green card. Everybody, please take it. Take your pen. We're going to do a magic trick. I'm just kidding. Um... I want you to take a risk for just a second. No one, don't write your name on this card, and no one's going to know what you write, okay? But I want you to take it, and I want you for just a couple seconds to think, who do you think Jesus is? Maybe you know nothing about Jesus today, and that's okay. You can just write that. Maybe you, whatever you think. I don't even need to lead you on either way. Just write it down. At the beginning of the story, I want you to write it down so that you can wrestle with at the end where you're at. So just write on the card, who do you think Jesus is? In your own words, write it down, and then you're going to fold the card in half, Okay? I'm just going to keep it with you. So please do that. so worried about what your answer is. Again, no one's going to see it. But just try to be honest with yourself, whatever that is. I think if we're really, uh, you can keep going, by the way, if you're still writing. If we're really enlightened human beings, if we really are concerned about the world, then we should answer this question, whatever it is. We should make our minds up one of the most important people in human history, who many people credit with the founding of what we know of as Western culture. It's not any better than any other culture, but that's significant that this person seems to have set the stage for that. So we should think about who he is, especially if that's just today for you to do. So everyone's faced with that question, who is Jesus? And it's not, it's not really my question to you, and it's not some church's question. It's Jesus' own question in the New Testament. The historical Jesus would, would ask people, who, who do you think I am? Who do you say I am? And he would kind of test people. And to Jesus, this is one of the most important things of what he did on earth, is he's really interested in what people think about him. And he thinks that the answer to that question is super important for you. So keep that, fold it in half. You can hold it, set it down. Should I share a story with you first? Anaïs Baudier grew up an only child in Paris, France. As a child, she remembers distinctly feeling lonely often and never knowing why. At the age of 27 and after moving to London, England, Anaïs was watching a YouTube video when she thought she recognized herself in the video. Confused, she started doing some research behind the video and who was in it and found that the woman that she thought was her, that looked exactly like her, was a woman named Samantha Futureman who grew up in the U.S. After finding her contact information, Anais contacted Samantha and discovered that Samantha not only looked exactly like her, but they were both born in Busan, uh, South Korea, on the same day in the same year and discovered that Samantha was her identical twin who was separated at birth. 
Samantha and Anais laugh at the exact same time. They wear their hair the same way, and they have since they were children, and they both hate carrots. For the majority of her life, Anais did not know she had a twin. She just knew she was lonely, and she couldn't ever figure out why. So the story, and we'll come back to them, the story today that Steph read for us is from what's called the Gospel of Luke, which is a story about Jesus. It's a biography about Jesus. And so a guy named Luke writes it, and he tells this strange story of two people walking down a road. And the story that we're talking about today is really about how these two people come to recognize Jesus, literally, as Jesus walking with them and metaphorically for who Jesus really is. So these two people, if you remember the story which Steph read, and I'm just going to read little pieces of it as we go, these two people are walking down a road, having a conversation, and trying to make sense of what has happened to them recently. These two people are early adopters of Jesus' message. Jesus was a rabbi in the first century. He was a teacher that would travel around. He would, he would do miraculous healings for, for people who were sick and poor. And he would teach people which, with this teaching that they just thought they had never heard anything exactly like this before. And he gathered a sort of following. He upset the people, the religious people who were in power at the time, and the political people who were in power. But among kind of like the everyday people and the poor people and the rejected people, he, he grew this kind of following. These two people, apparently, were early adopters of this message. They loved Jesus, they loved what he was about, and they followed him. They were compelled by his love. They were compelled by his power to heal, the way Jesus spoke truth to power, the way he addressed injustice, the way he exposed religion, actually. Jesus exposed religion for the broken system that it was. That's not what we're doing here to offer people a relationship with God that was authentic, that was real, to reconnect them with God as if he's his, their father. This is what Jesus was doing. Jesus believed that this, if people would tap into this, would free them in their lives from everything that held them back. And he called then people to follow him, to literally walk after him, to learn from him, to take on his teaching, to receive what he was talking about, and to give up control of their lives. This is the tough part, to give their lives over to Jesus. That if that would happen, Jesus says, they would come into who they were really made to be. These two people apparently did that, were doing that, trying to do that. They, were, they liked Jesus. This man, though, Jesus, days earlier, was executed. He was killed on a Roman cross. In, the, in these days, the way that they would practice capital punishment for a criminal one of the ways, the most public way, would be to take somebody on a wooden cross and to set them up high for everyone to see. They would nail them into the cross and the person would suffocate and die in front of everyone. And this was kind of a way to make a statement that uh, the people who did that to Jesus were in power and that what Jesus was saying and what he lived should not be listened to. And so this had just happened three days earlier in which these two people saw or know of what just happened to the person that they were following, the person that they had put their trust in, the person that they had risked to follow. There's a side note, too, before we keep going. Uh, it's a common question today. It, it's common to question whether Jesus really ever lived. You know, we talk about Jesus. Maybe you've heard about him, but did he actually live? And it's common then to ask, did Jesus really die on a cross, or is this just all a story that, that Christianity or religion tells to make a point? 
this is not really an issue for any respected scholar, atheist or Christian or anything at any respected university in the world, even in our city, knows for a fact that Jesus lived, that a man named Jesus of Nazareth, which the Bible talks about, lived, and it happened, and he died on a Roman cross in the first century, in the first, in the first year of the first century. This is not questioned by anybody. The real question is, what does that mean? Does it mean anything for you? And then the real question is what we're talking about today. Did he actually rise from the dead after that? Because if that happened, then that changes things. Here's just a quote for you. Now that same, oh, that's not what I want to read you. That's what I want to read you. It's a, it's a professor, a lecturer from the University of Cambridge. So maybe, I don't know, we should listen to him, maybe not. These abundant historical references leave us with little reasonable doubt that Jesus lived and died. The more interesting question, which goes beyond history, an objective fact, is whether Jesus died and lived. So then we have these two people who are trying to make sense of this. They're walking down the road. They're talking. What just happened? We followed this person. Now he's dead. What does that mean for us? I just want to read you that. So this is just part of it. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called, it's not Emma's, it's Emmaus. About seven miles from Jerusalem. That's not in the Bible, I wrote it down. About seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. Then we have this strange bit where a stranger of some sort just appears on the road with them. As they walked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. According to the story now, which is kind of like a surprise to us, Jesus is actually alive. And what he wants to do, I mean, imagine, what, is, what does a person do when they rise from the dead? I don't know. But apparently, this is one of the first things that happens, is Jesus just kind of appears on the road with two people who are having a conversation, a debate about what has happened to Jesus. And this is where he wants to be. He wants to butt into this conversation and listen and have a conversation with them. By the way, the word here, in, this is originally Greek, the word here for uh, discussing or conversing earlier can also mean debating. You can imagine these two people, I mean, they're trying to work out what in the world they just witnessed and what just happened. Just back to the, the two people, what's their perspective? What do they think happened? The verse, I'll read it to you. This is what it says. The two stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, who to them is a stranger. They don't know who it is. It's just some some guy that walked up. Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened in these days? Okay, so Cleopas is pretty sarcastic. He's like, what are you, are you the only person in our whole city who doesn't know what happened? You're on Facebook, you've been watching the news, like you're out, you know, you're just, you're detoxing. So he's like, how can you not know? And Jesus says, what? What things happened? You just imagine Jesus, he's kind of playing around. He's like, I don't know, what, what happened? I don't know, tell me. And they say this, about Jesus of Nazareth, by the way, Jesus of Nazareth, this just means Jesus is from, this guy Jesus, from a town called Nazareth. Jesus is just a name, by the way. It's just people are still called Jesus in our world today, different cultures and different languages. It's just his name, and he's from a town called Nazareth. They say, don't you know this guy, Jesus of Nazareth? He was a prophet. Prophet is somebody who they believe spoke God's word somehow to us. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all people. 
The chief priests, these are religious people that are in control. The chief priests and our rulers, the leader, the mayor, the, you know, these kind of people of the city, they handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. But we had hoped, here it is, we had hoped that he, Jesus, was the one that was going to redeem Israel. Stop for a second. Well, the Israel that it's referring to is not the Israel we think of today, the nation state of Israel necessarily. In this day, Israel is, is, is land, but it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a group of people, a nation in this time that was occupied by a foreign power, the Roman Empire that was spreading over the face of the earth. Rome had subdued the Jews. They had taken their land. They had set up their own, their own rulers on top, uh, on top of kind of the, the Jewish rulers, and they told them what to do, and they collected heavy taxes, and they oppressed them. These two people apparently are either Jewish or identify with the Jews, and they say this. They're so depressed because they thought Jesus was going to redeem Israel, which means going to save us. They thought they interpreted Jesus' life as this guy that was going to finally get rid of their oppressor, that was finally going to beat them in some kind of war or something and raise them back up again. But now, Rome just killed Jesus. We had hoped. We put all our hope in him. And this is real. This is real life. This is like somebody who's, who's part of a, a country that's occupied today that hopes that someone would deliver them. The one hope they had is dashed. And now they're depressed. And then they go on, what is more? You know what else happened that confuses it? It's the third day since all that took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb where Jesus was put when he was dead early this morning, but they didn't find his body. They came and they told us that they had seen a vision of angels. And they said, the angels said that he was alive. Then some of our companions, our friends, went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they couldn't find Jesus. They just end there. So what are they saying? They're saying, we're depressed. We thought he was going to do this, and he didn't. He was amazing. We gave him our whole lives. He's killed as a criminal. We have no hope left. What is more, which they don't mention here, is if you were following a criminal that was just found to be a criminal and executed for being a criminal, and you're his follower, that's a pretty dangerous place to be, too. They might come after you next. And so they say, what's more is now it's just confusing. I mean, now his body's not even there. Where's his body? Angels? What are the women talking about? What's going on? It says they were downcast. I'm saying they were downcast because Jesus didn't fit their interpretation of reality. He didn't fit into their perspective. Their perspective was that the problems in the world, their world, the disappointments of life came from their oppression. That's the problem. That's, if they had a problem in life that they wanted Jesus to fix, that's the problem. Get rid of the Romans. And they couldn't see outside that box. They were disappointed. They were missing something. But they couldn't recognize Jesus for what he was really doing and for who he was. And this is what the story is trying to tell us. Even when Jesus stood right in front of them, they couldn't recognize him. They couldn't see him for who he was. It's actually a picture of what happens to us. It's a picture of our own heart. When I say heart, I mean the core of who you are. I don't mean your beating heart. I mean your identity, where you live from, beyond your mind. And, you know, it, it's not that your mind is bad. It's just who you really are. When you say, like, I feel it, you know, and you mean, like, I feel it in my gut, in my stomach. I just know this is the heart, at least the way it talks about it. So we're missing something. And even when it's right in front of us, we reject it or we can't see it 
because it doesn't fit our perspective. I'll keep going, but this is what's happening in the story with them. Jesus is right in front of them, but he doesn't fit the perspective of how they saw him. So they reject him. They can't see him. They're kept from seeing him. Back to Jesus. Jesus steps in and he begins to bring clarity to their reality. He begins to shift their perspective and he begins to break down the box that they've made for God, the box that they've made for life. This is what it says. He said to them, how foolish are you and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah, this is the promised one that would save you. Okay, he says there is somebody that wants to save you. Did he not have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And then Jesus says, beginning with Moses, so I don't actually have a Bible up here, which would be good to have, but in the Bible, which is a book that tells the whole story of Jesus, he says, starting with Moses, the beginning of the Bible, and all through the prophets, he explained to them what was said in the whole Bible concerning himself. What Jesus does here is he shares his message with them, what we call good news. And it's a bit of tough love, right? I mean, what he says to them is, how foolish. It's pretty tough. When I read it, I'm like, man, he's pretty, they're just being honest. He's like, you're foolish. What foolish literally means, you're not thinking. Come on, you're not thinking. And how slow to believe, which literally means how slow your heart, which I just said, right? How slow your heart is to believe. Jesus, especially with these two people, because these two people have followed him, they've listened to him, they know the story of the Bible at some length. He says to these two people, why don't you recognize me? You were looking for me to overthrow the Roman government or whatever you wanted, and now you're disappointed when what actually happened in the story of Jesus is I just overthrew evil itself, not just the Romans. I just overthrew pain itself. I just conquered what is called sin itself, or everything that separates us from God. I just overthrew death itself. Roman imperialism, which was to these people, was the worst evil in their world. Roman imperialism, every form of evil after that in the world, even today, whatever you can think of as evil in the world, is a reflection, actually, of the evil that's inside of me and inside of you. However small, however big, evil can just be selfishness. Jesus is saying, don't you know, this is what it means, don't you know that I am, which he says elsewhere, God in the flesh. It's hard to believe. God in the flesh, and that I had to let evil consume me. He's trying to get them to understand what's really happening, which is much bigger than it looks like. By so doing, by letting evil consume him instead of consume us, he destroys evil. This is what we believe. And after that, Jesus rose from the dead to never die again. That's the incredible story, that the historical person, Jesus, rose from the dead and he's living today. That he once and for all conquered whatever you think of as evil, whatever it is. If you, if you don't like injustice, which I hope you don't, Jesus killed it, conquered it, ended it. Whether there in the first century or here today, he wanted to give us the greatest gift that we could ever be given which is really, really simple. He just wanted to give us a relationship with God that was authentic, that was real, that was connecting with him again as our father, the giver of our life, my creator. That's all he wanted. And that will actually, if you took a risk, change your life. Next in the story, uh, 
is this odd part which I'll read where the two people invite Jesus into a house for a meal. The whole story really, beyond what actually happens, is, is Jesus kind of uncovering reality. Okay? It's as if, here's reality, which is that. That's odd reality. And it's like covered in a sheet. And nobody can really tell what life is about. Because it's under the sheet. You can see it, I don't have a sheet. There's a lot of magic going on today. So, and what Jesus is really trying to do in the story is he's trying to lift up the sheet and say, this is what life is. You've, you've not seen it exactly. This is what life is about. This is who I really am. This is who you really are. Verse 28 in the story, near the end, it says, as they approach the village, they're walking, right? They're just going somewhere. Jesus is following along. They don't know who he is. They approach the village to which they were going. Jesus continued on as if he's going farther as if he's continuing to travel down the road. But the two urged him strongly, stay with us, for it's nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. The two people, no doubt, moved and still a bit unsure about what is happening and who this person is. Show him good Middle Eastern hospitality. In this day and still to this day, it would be very inappropriate, very unhospitable to let this stranger continue on as it's night down the road, which is dangerous. You wouldn't walk alone down the street. And so to love the person would be to say, no, no, you come into our house. Come into our home. Stay for the night. There's robbers on the road and they'll attack you, which is what would happen. So they invite him in and they invite him into their home so as he will not be in danger. Next verse, when he was at the table with them. So what's happened? He's invited them into the house and he's sitting at the table with them. It says he took bread He gave thanks. He said some kind of prayer to God. Thank you, God, for this. And then he broke the bread and he gave it to them. Jesus, this is easy to skip over. What Jesus has done, which is interesting, I don't know if you would do this if you came to someone's house. He goes into their house, which they invited him to. But the next thing he does is he sits at the table. And by sits at the table, we can tell what's happening, is he takes what would be considered like the head of the table. Okay? especially in this day in a traditional culture, like the, the man of the house or the head of the family or whatever you would want to call it, would sit at the head of the table, and that's who was kind of in control of dinner. Jesus takes the seat, doesn't even ask permission. This is how Jesus is, by the way. He's, he's powerful and loving. He doesn't care what people think. So he sits at the head of the table and he takes their bread, right? And he just takes it and he breaks it and he hands it to them. First he prays. He does the whole deal, you know, as if it's his house. And he gave it to them. And then this verse, this strange verse right away. Then their eyes were open and they recognized him. And then he disappeared from their sight. So what's just happened? It's like they've been walking with this person. I don't know if you've ever had this experience where like, uh, it's like, there's a couple ways to think about this. Um, it's like you didn't realize who someone was. Like you met somebody, you're talking, you're hanging out, and you realize, I met you like three years ago. I know exactly who you are. For some reason, it just like skipped my mind. They have like this kind of experience with him where he's just sitting there, he takes the bread, he breaks it, he hands it to them, and it's like, huh, it's Jesus. What in the world? The person we've been walking with for, for, for however long, I don't know how long it was, is Jesus. Jesus is actually what he's doing. He's, re- he's reversing the story of humanity. That's a, big, that's a big sentence, but he's reversing the story of humanity. In the Bible's explanation of what's wrong with the world, so I don't know how you explain if there's anything wrong with the world. Uh, most people feel that there is. 
some of us have no reason for why that is, or there's just bad people and good people or, or whatever. But the Bible has a way of explaining what is wrong with our world, and it comes from the beginning of the Bible called the book of Genesis, an ancient book. The book of Genesis tells a story as well about two people. In this story, the two people are living in a world that's uncorrupted, that's perfect, full of love. But they begin to doubt the goodness of God. They live in this world with God as if they can walk with him down the street, just like these two with Jesus. And they live in a garden, they walk with God, but the two begin to doubt the goodness of God. They begin to doubt that he loves them. And they begin to believe that he actually doesn't love them and he's holding out on them. There's, there's good things, and you can read the story if you want. It's Genesis chapter two, three, 2 and 3. They begin to doubt that, that God actually loves them. That maybe God's keeping something from them. You know, maybe God's religious. He's like, just do the right things. Don't do these other things. And he's like, what are those other things? I want to find out. So they begin to doubt it. And the way that the story talks about it is, is it's in the form of a tree. And there's this tree that promises, if you eat its fruit, to give you the knowledge of good and evil. Meaning, the power to make your own decisions. The, 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 the freedom to not live trusting God, but to decide what is right and what is wrong, which is actually bad, by the way. It's bad for your heart to have to worry about that. That's why we're not about religion. It's not about what's right and wrong. It's about having a relationship with God. But they begin to do that. They take this fruit and they eat it to see what it's like. And the story, this is what it says in Genesis chapter 3, verse 7. Quote, Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized that they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. In this story, the minute that they separate themselves from God, they feel what we would call shame. An overwhelming sense that deep down inside, something is wrong with them. And this is what happens, actually, when we become alienated from God. We begin to feel things like shame. Here, in our story, Jesus encounters two people. He invites them to eat something to take bread. And the minute that they eat it, Luke chapter 24, verse 31 says, then their eyes were opened, and this time they recognized him. The story ends here. Well, for me, you, you can read it on a bit, but for us today, it ends here. When their minds were not sure about Jesus, okay, who is Jesus? I don't know. When their minds weren't sure about Jesus, their hearts still knew Somewhere deep down inside, they knew Jesus, the man walking with them, was who he was, not a stranger. You were created by God. This is just me, by the way, but the Bible supports what I'm saying. You were created by God, loved by God, desired by God, thought up in his mind, and he made you. Wherever you come from, whether your parents wanted you or not, whether you think about this or not. The Bible story is that God had an idea, which was you, and he brought you into existence. He loves you and always has, and he's actually probably been, whether you believe it or not, been interacting with you in little ways here and there. And Zena's story today, her courageous story, is a, is a picture of that. Even in her darkest moments, when she has no beliefs about God, she feels this thing, right? Which turns out to be later Jesus to her. But at the moment, all of us, without Jesus, are separated from God. It's not about what we do or we don't do. It's not about how good or how bad. I mean, we human beings are beautifully made, and there's tons of goodness in us. Of course, not everything is good. 
It's actually not the complete point. The point is we're separated from God. Even our good things are sometimes selfish things. We're separated from God, which also means we're separated from each other. This is why we have fights, things like that. And we're also separated from ourselves. It's why I don't really know who I am, why I'm here. Apart from Jesus, I think the best we can do, the best we can do in life is to try to cope or to try to enjoy life as best as we can or to try to find wisdom in a religion, whatever we want to call it, or a philosophy, whatever we want to call it. Or we can hope to have a family that would love us, that we could love. We could hope to have financial security that we don't have to worry. We could hope to have as many fun experiences as we can pack into a life. That way we know we enjoyed it. We can do all that, and really there's nothing wrong with that. But Jesus offers us something else, something beyond that, what he calls true life, the life of God. And this is just returning to our roots. If the story is true, then it's already true about us. It's true about me, it's true about you, if we believe the story of the Bible, that God made you, created you, loves you, wants a relationship with you. And to know God in an authentic, intimate way, and to be known by God completely, is what you were made for. Just that. No more. I'm not saying anything else. That's all he wants. See, I think what's going on is we're all walking around with a what often is a deep, sometimes we don't even know it's there, hidden angst, about the world. You know what angst is? It's kind of like anxiety, but it's like this deep uneasiness about the way things are. I'm not at rest. I'm kind of on edge. We all have this inside of us. Some of us express it differently. Some of us would feel, I have a deep void of purpose in my life. I don't really know why I'm here. Or I have a deep feeling of loneliness. I just never feel like I'm with people, even when I'm with them. Or I have a deep ache for someone to love me in a way that I would consider just fully accepting me, where I can be at rest with them. And then we may know of this person, Jesus. We may have heard about him. We may know a lot. We may know a little. But maybe we haven't recognized him for who he is, like the people in the story. The way that we feel all that stuff, purpose, loneliness, the way that we feel inside is not bad. It's just a sign that something's missing. The way that you feel inside or have felt inside at times is not itself the point. It's just a sign of something that's missing. And what's missing for you, I would say today, is not a religion. That may help you, that there may be a certain amount of wisdom in that, whatever the tradition is, but it's not what you're missing. And it's not a philosophy that you're missing, and it's not a bunch of ideas that you're missing. The story here says it's Jesus who is God in the flesh who died on a Roman cross to heal your brokenness, my brokenness, to conquer evil out there in the world and in my heart. That's who I'm missing. This is not my idea, by the way. Jesus is so like it's just his. Jesus is actually your source. It's where you come from, as strange as that may be. That's the story. He's your source. He's your family. He's your lineage. He's your blood. He is the image of your long-lost dad. No matter where you come from, what language you speak, what lifestyle you identify with, he's your lineage, where you come from. There may be many things in the world that are true. There may be many words of wisdom. There may be many ways to live a good life. But there is only one way to the Father. This is Jesus' message. Not that all other ways of living are bad and mine is good. It's just that, yes, and there's only one way to the Father. This is Jesus' message. The Father is God, who is actually your Father. Your actual Father. Not an idea, the one who made you, loved you, more true than your blood Father. And Jesus is 
difficult teaching is that he says, I am the way to the Father. You have many ways to live, and you can explore them and find them, and maybe they'll help you. But if you want the Father where you really come from, then you must come through Jesus. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And then they say this to each other. I just told you that stuff. They say this to each other when Jesus disappears. Were not our hearts burning within us when he talked with us on the road and he opened the scriptures to us, is what it says. It's like they're remembering. They're like, I knew there was something about that guy. Like, don't, did you realize when he was like reading the Bible and telling us all this crazy stuff? I was like, I could feel it and I didn't know how to say it. But it was him the whole time. You see, there's this difference uh, the way we live. Usually we're used to living from here only, which is not bad. God gave you a brain. We're used to living here, and we're used to living about, like, to judge things from our perspective and our experience and our circumstances. So was Jesus real? Is he true? I don't know, because I had very bad experiences with people who talked about Jesus. That's unfortunate, but that is still living out of your experience. Those, nobody represents Jesus. I don't represent Jesus to you. I'm just like a really dirty mirror. We're not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road. If you remember the story from the beginning, Anais and Samantha's story is actually my story. It's actually your story. Her loneliness and Anais' story was probably frustrating to her growing up like that. She was probably often frustrated feeling, I feel like this and I don't know why. And I don't want to tell anybody I'm lonely again because it doesn't make sense to them, right? It was probably frustrating, but that was just a sign that she was missing something that she was made to have, her sister. She just didn't know she had one. All she knew was loneliness. That kind of thing, and I did some research for this, it's like this super annoying beeping in the car when you don't have your seatbelt on and you're in one of the front seats, you know? I'm not going to do it. <clears throat> but I did it last night to double check and it doesn't. It's just a sign, that beeping, that super annoying beeping is just a sign that you're missing something and it's super frustrating when you don't know why it's beeping or when you just don't want to put the seatbelt on even though it will save your life and that beeping just constantly reminds you of it. That's loneliness. The way that you feel is a result of something that is missing, actually someone that is missing. Jesus is God come to find me. He's God come to find you. Come to heal you, come to complete you. That's it. It's only good news. Can you recognize him? That's the question today I just want to leave you with. Who do you think he is? He's actually what I'm telling you. The one that your heart is actually longing for. He is it. All the things that we want. He's actually the real thing. The source thing. He's the one that we chase after when we chase things. And he's really where I come from when I try to figure out who I am and I can't figure it out. Of course it's odd, of course it's weird. It's weird for these two people. But it was nonetheless true, actually true. So if I can say it like this in a story, I want to invite you this morning to reflect on this as we end. I force you to do anything. But I want you to reflect and I want to try to say it like this. Can you, the choice that I want to leave you with, is can you welcome him into your home, just like the story? The, their transformation, these two people, begin to see Jesus for who he is because they take the step to say, come in, come into my house. I don't know if I can trust you yet, but come into my house. 
The minute that they come into their house, it opens this possibility up where Jesus talks to them, reveals himself to them. And by the way, these two people's lives change dramatically. And the, I mean, you come back next week, the rest of the story of the Bible is this radical story of what happens when Jesus rises from the dead. And why it's good news for me is good news for you. So can you invite him into your home? This is the center of who you are. Invite him into your heart, your home, whatever you want to say. Invite him into your world, your life. And let him sit at the head of your table, not the side. But take a risk. Jesus, take the head seat. I've been, I've been sitting in it pretty long. It's warm. Take a seat. And let him take the bread on the table and break it and give it to you instead of you trying to figure him out. So who do you think Jesus is? Just hold your card. Think about it. Who do you think Jesus is? I want to do right now is I just want to pray for you. Whether you follow Jesus, you, you're like, yeah, I get all that. Or if you say, I'm not really sure yet. Got something written on my card or nothing written on my card. I'm not really sure. I want to pray with you. And it's really simple because all we're about here is, is helping people, not about what we think of as religion, but to help people come into a real relationship with God that's good for you. That it's not even, it's nothing to do with me or this thing. It's just for you. That you can come in and give the, get, receive the promise that Jesus offers you. Full life. A connection with your father, your true father. So I'm going to pray in the way if you'd like, I want that. Okay. It's not what I thought it was, maybe. It doesn't sound like religion. I'm not sure. There's all kinds of messed up stuff out there, by the way. That's why it matters just what the Bible says. But you're like, I want that. Okay. I don't have all the answers, which is the point. Okay. It's not about getting all the answers. It's not about signing your life away with blood. Okay. If you want that, you know, I'd like to start a relationship with Jesus. There's no better way to just take that jump, take a leap. And it's for you. It's for you personally. It's not for the people around you. It's not for me. It's for you. And so when I pray, I'm just going to pray kind of like a blessing for people. That Jesus would reveal himself to us as he is. That he, would ha- that he would heal the things that we need to heal. Those things that we're missing, whatever that is for you, that he would fulfill that in you. But then I'm also going to pray a very specific prayer for anyone here who says, you know what? I don't, I don't know Jesus until today, but I do want that. I want him to come into my heart, my life. I want to have a relationship with him. I'm going to pray a very simple prayer. You can silently, if you want, it's just for you. I don't even know about it. You can say that along silently to yourself and say, then, and to know that as you do that, it's no magic words, more magic, that it's just for you to start a relationship with God and relationships require talking, right? And so if that's you, when I say, I'll make it clear when I do that, and you can just pray along with me silently and you can know that when you pray, God hears you. Father, thank you for today. Father, I have ideas about you. We all have ideas about you, Jesus. And it's hard, Jesus, to believe. So would you help us? I sense, Jesus, that you are so patient with us. You're so patient with our belief. You might give us a strong word once in a while. Michael, how foolish are you? Your heart is so slow to believe. But Jesus, will you help us to believe then right now? Father, I just want to pray a blessing for all of us that do follow Jesus, that sometimes we still go back to living out of our own kind of perception. We begin to judge you, Jesus, and we become confused when you don't do what we want, and we forget that you are wild and free and untamed, and we don't control you. But you're beautiful and you're good. You heal, you heal and you answer prayer. 
to change things, and you're, you're changing our world. The good news about Easter is that even though it seems like the world is, is, is falling apart more and more and in war or on the brink of war, that Jesus' promise, which is hope, is that he's ended it all, and it will end completely soon. That gives us hope. If that's you today that wants to start that simple relationship with Jesus, you can silently pray with me. God, I don't have all the answers, but my heart burns within me that you are who you say you are and that I need that. Jesus, I turned from me. I turned from my perspective, my life, my ideas, and I invite you to come into the house of my heart take the seat at the head of the table and I receive your life from me. I don't understand it all, but your death on the cross, your, your amazing life and the idea that you rose from the dead, even in my doubts, I choose to believe. That's for me too, no matter where I come from, what I've done, what I've not done. Thank you for your love, God. Help me. In your name I pray, Jesus. Amen. If that's you, it might seem like, oh, what was that? It's, it's good. Relationships start somewhere. They're not magic words. But Jesus says that those who repent, which just means turn, which is what you were doing, turn away from yourself, turn to Jesus. Anybody who repents and believes in him, however small, however big, receives what he calls eternal life, which is not just life after you die. That's pretty sweet. It's life now. It's life today. It's waking up from sleep. So we're going to end here, and I'm going to give you a chance to enter into this story one other way. You can hold your green card in your hand. You can let go of everything else. Just take your green card. Whether there's something written on it, whether there's nothing written on it, whether you don't even know what you think anymore, just take the card, hold it in your hand. So at the front here, two tables, I have bread. And in the cup, there's juice. And then there's a, there's a glass jar. You see there's a card in it. The bread and the juice, just like the story, often what Jesus is doing is it's cultural that he takes bread and they take wine. We have juice for those that don't want wine. And he takes it and, he, and, and in the story, it's just like another story that happens with Jesus when he's with these disciples again. And he takes bread and he breaks it. And he says to them, when you eat bread, which you do often, I want you to remember me. Remember that when I died on the cross, the breaking of the bread, when you tear, you can tear off the bread. When you tear it off, it's like my body is breaking for you so that yours doesn't have to. And then I dip it in the cup. And the cup, that juice, it just represents something. It's just a picture. And it represents my blood spilled for you. And what is that about? It, it purchases for you a new future that you don't have to worry about connecting with God. God loves you and is for you because of what Jesus has done. You can connect with him today. Nothing you do or don't do separates you from God anymore. Dip it in the cup. But when you do that, I want to invite you. This is for everybody, wherever you come from. I want you to take your card. They're going to play a song. You can come up. And I want to invite you, if you want to, to take the green card and just put it in the jar. And what that symbolizes is just you kind of surrendering that idea today. Whatever I thought about Jesus, good or bad, I surrender it to him. And I'm going to let him define himself to me. Now, if once you do that, you consider I either I, I am a follower of Jesus. I love him. 
then you can take that bread and you can dip it in that cup. Or if you think, I don't know much, but today I did just decide. I, I prayed that. I believe this at some level. Then that's for you too. Take the bread, dip it in the cup. If you're still like, I don't really know about all this. That's cool. Take the, take the card, just top it in the thing. You don't have to touch the bread. There's nothing magic, by the way, anyway, unless you want some bread. You don't have to take the bread. You just put your card in the thing. It's just a sign of like, all right, Jesus is important. I don't have all the answers. Maybe I'm curious for more, but I surrender my idea today. So during the song, you can come up on your own. You can take it. Everybody will be doing it. Put your card in the thing. You take the bread, dip it in the juice. This is the beginning, or the beginning again, of following Jesus. We just call it following Jesus, which just means I believe in him. Even now, if you feel your heart burning within you, I invite you to do that, and I just want to end here with a quote. Roger Garrity is not a Christian. He is a, and not that you can't be this, but he's a communist philosopher, but very much not a Christian. And he said this, I do not know much about this man, Jesus, but I do know that his whole life conveys this one message, anyone at any time can start a new future. Roger almost gets it, right? He sees it from the outside. He's just not sure about him. It's for you too. Today you can start a new future. When you're ready, you can come up, put your card in the jar, take the bread, and then you can return to your seat. Thank you for listening to the Jubilee Montreal podcast. For more information on Jubilee Montreal, visit us online at www.jvlmontreal.org.